Hey everybody, welcome back to Beyond the Walls. This is my interview series with members of the climbing community. I'm Pete Woods, I'm your host through this series. And today I am privileged to be talking to my old friend, root setter, pioneer, Tonde. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. I am uh, sipping on some coffee and really happy to be here chatting with you. Excellent, as am I, it is that time of day. You are in Seattle, so in America in the time of the coronavirus, as I think you know, somebody said the other day that we are living a history textbook right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, a French guy living in the US, which endlessly perplexes me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this is where I chose to be, the company that inspires me and, and hires me. Uh, is here and so that's why i'm here you're uh i mean it's the an englishman in new york a, a frenchman in seattle nope. um so on that note you do work for the building projects you are the director of root setting a like a large conglomerate three beautiful climbing gyms spread out in uh, austin seattle and uh, minneapolis. minneapolis how did how did you i mean it's, i think it's the easiest thing to start with is how did you come to be uh the director of root setting i mean it's not a title that people would recognize as something that they would associate with their home gym um i think director of root setting is a job that appeared maybe in the last three four years um like has grown it existed before um in some of the larger gyms like touchstone um that had um a lot of facilities but it's just more common for you know chains of climbing gyms to exist and um, they find um, or they're experimenting everyone's looking for leadership around root setting how do we create you know some form of uh, hierarchy to manage the all the different layers of root setting that need to be managed so um, yeah that's how the job came to be how I came to be in it. Um, I worked as a head setter for the bouldering projects um, in 2013 and 14. Um, at the time, it was just the Seattle bouldering project. And so I worked for them for two years and then I left, but stayed as a consultant and continued to collaborate with them like all through the period I was living in Canada, living in, um, in France. And they continued to grow as a company and, and then the role appeared or the need appeared for this role and they reached out to me and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come back and, and try it. That sounds, I mean, you just kind of view your branches, that sounds like a good time. That sounds like the next thing. And I think for as long as I've known you and I'm, I, I think do we go back like 25 years or so. At least. Have, at least, and that, we won't give away our ages. We were very young when we met, very, very young. Um, you've always been either pushing for or uh, getting onto the next thing. So you're not someone who's afraid of progress. You're not someone who's afraid of nudging that curve a little bit, or even, I mean, I think you're fond of saying that root setting is a flat circle. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't have to go forward. It doesn't have to go backwards. It's not old school. It's not new school. It's just what do we need to see more of, or what do we need to do? And um, it doesn't, it never, it didn't surprise me when, you know, that role came up and your name was attached to it. Um, it didn't surprise me when uh, you opened Udabwat, which was, if you know, people don't know, was a, a commercial root setting company whose role was to go and, and set in other gyms. And I'm assuming it also provides some instruction and, and sort of leave people with a, a set gym and some tools to be able to continue on in commercial root setting. And if I remember, it was, at, if not the first one of the first of its kind. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, what was the first, you know, of X grade at, you know, and historically it's just hard to track because no one's really logging. Um, but yeah, it was pretty early. Um, I think we might've started in 2009 um, with, uh, so me and two friends, uh, Thibault Lescour, um, who was an amazing root setter and an amazing uh, font climber. And, um, one of my best friends still to this day. Um, they both are actually uh, Florian Escoffier, who is, uh, they now are the headsetters uh, jointly for the Arcos group um, in, I would say in France, I would say in Paris, but then it's in France is more accurate. And now they even have gyms in like Switzerland and neighboring countries. So they're like one of the biggest outfits uh, in the world. 
and, and you you got you saw a need um, collectively to apply. I don't know. It's not even. It's not just process. It's just to apply something to root setting that is more than the haphazard approach of volunteers, um, kids looking to climb for free, and just say, "Hey, root setting is more than just putting holds on the wall um, to give people a workout." You know, it was a way to to expand the the brand of root setting, at least in, from my perspective. And I'm sure that there's lots of layers to it, but. Um, that drive to have root setting be more than just pieces of plastic stuck to bits of wood. I mean, that's been in you for as long as I've known you, and I'm assuming it's been in since you discovered indoor climbing. I mean, was there a point where you went, man, this is fun, but it should be better? Or was it more organic, your sort of involvement into root setting? Um, it's funny because I had the luxury of uh, being exposed to root setting in a way where it could be very casual. It was very, you know, I had opportunities to set. Um, I, I had very little pressure and my motivation and incentive at the beginning was free climbing. I was a, you know, student, teenager. Um, I had little money and, you know, climbing gym um, memberships were expensive. Um, and so when I figured out, oh, if I set, you know, three routes a month, I can climb for free. I was like, I'm about that. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I had another job. I was going to school. I was doing completely different things professionally. And it never really took, um, you know, I, I, it never really. Uh, so the funny story is um, when I, I have a national route setter certification in France and my friends, Thibaut and uh, Actually, Froyan wasn't there because he was too young. But Thibaut, oh, and Laurent, okay, yeah, another friend of mine, they dragged me to it. I was like, what? No. What do I need this for? I can't set a national competition. This is not, and they were just like, come on, dude, like, you could do this in your sleep. And, and Jackie, this is one of the first times I had like met Jackie. And the whole, it was a week long course I had to like travel to the south of France and set boulders every day you had like these tests and exams and whatever and the whole week I was like I'm flunking out of this I'm like this is terrible um in addition to that I was like working as a graphic designer I was not in any climbing shape to set a national comp in France so it was just like it was a train wreck for me my my attachment to root setting for the first 10 years of my career was very anecdotal. It was very just like, yeah, this is a fun thing. And it only came to the forefront because I quit um, graphic design and I just, it was the only other marketable skill I had. I was just like, oh, okay, well, I better do this because I need to pay the bills. And by that time, climbing gyms were like a little more serious as a business and my perception suddenly was that my, my vision around root setting, it was just more important, you know? It was, it had, it, it mm, there was, root setting had a purpose in this business context. Um, and I was passionate about it. I was, you know, involuntarily, this sort of passive relationship with it for, you know, 10 plus years. And I was just like, yeah, but I really, really like this. And it's really important to me. And it, it's an extension of my passion for climbing. You know, um, it's, a, it's a means to share it. And that's what prompted, you know, um, the root setting company to come together and to push gym owners like, hey, you need us. Like, I'm coming tomorrow. I'm going to set boulders for you and you'll see it's going to... Because that's what it took at the beginning, being very pushy was we'd send... 50 emails and get one negative reply. Nope, sorry, not interested. And then you do it again and do it again. Um, so, uh, because people didn't see the need, they were like, why would I pay more money? Why would I, you know, why would I ask for someone else's opinion? I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. We just I have these gym rats that'll do it for free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and my, my customer base isn't knowledgeable enough to know what they're missing. 
because they're not traveling, they're not climbing internationally, they're not watching competitions on TV because there weren't any. So we were happy in our bubble of, hey, we're good at this. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, no one's telling us that we're not good at it. And I think the fact that you, you had to push for it and you have to say, when I leave, you will realize that you did the right thing. Well, that was the hope. It, so, that was the hope. <laughs> that's the gamble in the, in the, I guess the business proposal we were making um, is that we were basically claiming we had expertise that would improve whatever the experience of the climbers or something. Uh, I'll be very honest. We weren't always very sure we were going to be able to pull that off. Uh, it was, you know, things are much clearer today because we've developed theory and because, but back at that time, everyone was just kind of like, yep, this is, you know, and we held on to this idea that we essentially thought we knew what was right, you know? And I guess 10 years later, we're still right at least about a few things. I would argue that you're right about most of those things, in fact. And, and what it, to me, what it shows and like having been a gym manager, having been a bad root setter, um, having been around some pretty good root setting, then having been exposed to some very, very, very top end root setting, is that you, if you don't know, it's it's just kind of I come in the gym and there's fresh roots, and then they're either I like them or they don't. I relate to them or I don't. Um, I fall off and want to keep climbing them, or I fall off and I don't. If you're exposed to the root setting process at all, if you knew the science that went into it. If you knew the work and the effort and not just today, I'm just going to grab all these red holes and see what happens. Then the appreciation starts to grow. And I, I feel very privileged to have been behind the scenes of so many competitions and so many gyms to understand. Um, and I kind of do this to people. I'm like, if you saw what I saw, like I would sell tickets to watch the process of setting boulders for a, an international and national level comp. And I would be like, this will be more fun than paying to watch finals mm -hmm. because you know, some of, I spend hours and hours at a gym when I go and do comps watching that process. And it is fascinating. And I think that, you know, the perspective that I've gained from knowing people like you who are super honest about the process. Like you're kind of a no BS guy. And if it's, it needs to be talked about, then it gets talked about and the realities get talked about and it's not magic and it's not always right. And mistakes get made and, you know, understanding what the great, the bigger picture is, is, is really important. And I think we, I want to talk about two things. Um, I want to talk about a hundred things, but I want to talk about two things kind of in a bit of a split. Uh, one is commercial route setting and one is competition route setting. And the first time I met you was um, the perfect balance of both. So you were setting for the Eastern Canadian Climbing Tour, which was a, a competition climbing series back in Ontario and Quebec in the 90s. <clears throat> 90s, yes. <laughs> 90s. We will pick which part of the 90s. Um, and you came to our gym uh, and you sat for the comp. Um, and I also said, I set one boulder and I think you set like four roots, five roots and a boulder. And it took me like nine hours to set one boulder and you were like, no, take it down, no, take it down. Um, and I was exposed to this. I thought I'd set a good boulder because I've been setting in the gym commercially. And then after the comp, you set our gym basically. Mm -hmm. and And, the style of the roots was obviously different, mm -hmm. but the exposure of this is what competition root setting looks like. And this is what commercial root setting looks like. And I know I've asked you before and you don't have a favorite, but um, are there some key theoretical, like non-obvious differences between I'm going to go and teach and set a gym for commercial use. And this is how you approach a competition. So for many years, in, in somewhat of a provocative fashion, I've said and repeated that, um, you know, I've been asked the question, what's the difference between the two? And I say, there isn't any. For me, I approach both of them with the same sort of passion. The, the explanation behind that answer is that essentially one thing that I really, really love about competition root setting is the attention to detail that gets put into every hold essentially every hold gets discussed and 
processed and a team will spend a team of four or five people can spend a whole eight hours you know revisiting a boulder and chipping away at it until it's perfect, perfect. and the output in competitions that exceptional moments happen or incredible moves is the product of that very detailed and very refined process. And there's nothing particularly root setting related in this idea. If you work really hard on anything, then, you know, the results are tend to be more spectacular than something you work on for five minutes. That's, you know, um, I mean, but it's funny that, I mean, we laugh because it seems obvious, but, the fact that you repeat it to people, the fact that you that you need to that you explain it in that way means that it's not obvious. That it's there's no afterthoughts, you know. It's but it it should be, and you know that's how it works. And one of the one of the things that was always challenging for me was the in commercial route setting the expectation that things just had to go fast. Like just set ten boulders, it doesn't matter. Just like throw them up and get on with it. And for me, there was a big conflict because I, did, I was doing the same job. I was creating climbing. And I was like, why would I do it one way here and another way here? And especially like in terms of proportion, um, the boulders in the gym are going to get climbed by you know, hundreds and today thousands of people. Why wouldn't I spend extra time a whole day tweaking a boulder that's going to be on the wall for a month and make sure it's perfect? So all put together in my head, I just decided at some point in 2009, when we had our company, I don't ever want to change, you know, the way I set and the way I approach it is, I mean, there is a difference. I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's a provocative answer. The, the, the way I approach it from a process point of view is um, uh, the group of people I'm setting for, you know, how large is it? Is it six people in the finals? Or is it, you know, with, with an audience of X hundred people? Or is it, you know, uh, whatever, 300, 400, 1,000 people in a gym? And what is the, and then what time do I have available? I'm, at the end of the day, just hired to do a job. And if I was paid for half a day, sure, I can put one hold on the wall and be like, uh, I think I'm feeling, I oh, this could be wonderful. But that's not the job I was hired for. You know, I was hired to set three boulders that morning. And, you know, as long as they function, and I do have the expertise to do that. So it's just about adjusting, you know, and being honest about it. Um, so, and then I, I guess it's just the, the end goal is different. You know, a competition, you're creating a moment in, uh, in a gym. I like to think of it more like a narrative, something that is going to last over time that people can come back to and revisit, you know, for the time that boulder or root is on the wall. Um, and because of those two things, uh, you know, the makeup you wear when you go on stage and the makeup you wear when you go to work, yeah, they're going to be different. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference. And as there should be a difference. And I, I mean, it's, it's telling that, the the base behind your answer is that because you're passionate about what root setting itself and what it's bringing so the person that's climbing v2 in the gym has just as much right to be climbing good boulders as the finalist in a world cup mm -hmm. so the audience sure the audience is different and as you say in i mean i think that's a wonderful way to explain it is that when you're setting finals boulders semifinals boulders as well you're setting for moments, you're setting for uh, something that will be sort of memorable, that will separate the fields. Obviously there's a purpose behind competition bouldering and that they, they can't not all be topped by everybody all the time because that's not success in competition mm -hmm. climbing, but you are envisioning these moments that will be striking and that will be, that will stick with people. And in the gym, it's that the whole boulder is the moment, is the experience and it doesn't matter how good you are. And I think I've heard you say before that um, your favorite kind of thing about people bouldering is if they fall off and they look like they enjoyed the experience to that point mm -hmm. and they get back on, now you're checking boxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, um, one definition that really does hold true for me is that um, the idea of trying to create an emotion 
in climbing. You know, when we go to rocks in the desert or in the forest or wherever, uh, what keeps us coming back? You know, what when we're driving home and we're like, oh, I have to come back to climb a piece of rock in the middle of the forest, is the memory of you know the 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 emotion, the success, the sticking that hold, how it felt, the slipping off the hold and. Um, and it's accompanied by, you know, you're, you're on a trip, you're with friends, you're listening to this album, all these things kind of contribute to the experience of climbing. Um, in the gym, things get filtered out. It's not as subtle, but you're still looking to create that, that um, resolution, you know? It, it's an idea that's pretty strong in music. Um, the idea how chord progressions can, you know, make you feel like, oh, this means it's the end of the song. And it's just because it's a combination of certain, I mean, it's mathematical, you know, uh, intervals between the notes that just make it feel like, oh, this is in suspense. Oh, this is resolved. And uh, I think in climbing, there's a similar, similar idea where um, people can feel, you know, uh, engaged with these plastic puzzles and, uh, and when you feel engaged, when you're playing a video game that's at the right level where you lose, but you know you can do it. It's not just like the boss is destroying you and you're not getting anywhere and this is just not fun. You like peek out and boom, you're dead. No, that's not fun. But when it's like, oh, I get to fight a bit. I get to, oh, I made a mistake. It was me. And you feel like you're in control of the narrative somehow. Um, I think that's where there's engagement. And the trick is to just create you know, opportunities and openings for people to feel that. And it's not easy because there's so many different type of people. There's so, you know, one, one person's easy is another person's, you know, challenging or, and, and in very complex and sophisticated relationships, it's really not black and white. So, so that's what, you know, root setting sort of uh, crystallizes for me, the, the, the difference between competition and, and the gym is, I guess the context, but the substance of it is still the same. And I think that your, your analogy or your parallel to climbing outside and, and, you know, by the time you're packing up your bag, you're thinking about when you come back and you're mm -hmm. thinking about what you're going to do differently. Man, I know I should have put my foot on that crystal and I didn't, and it's getting dark and I'm coming back tomorrow. And that emotion, and you think about it in the car and you think about it at work the next day, until you can get back there. I, I do think that people do that in gyms as well. Mm -hmm. So people that spend most of their time climbing in gyms and we're at a place now where that's quite normal is that people are exposed to climbing for the first time in a climbing gym. They might climb years in a climbing gym before they go outside, depending on where they live or depending on who their peer group is. They bring that experience into the gym. And there's, a, there's an interesting break in that the, the boulder will be there for eons after you and I are gone mm -hmm. the the boulder problem in the gym will be gone on April 9th <laughs> yep. um, so you have this this sort of you're fighting against this timeline we're like I got to get back to the gym and I got it I mean people spend as much effort and they expend as much effort on boulders they enjoy and routes that they enjoy in climbing gyms as they do outside and if you apply the importance of what you're doing or what route setting as a whole is doing you're, you're allowing people to have that experience where, as you say, um, it's not just, you know, frustratingly difficult or awkwardly difficult, but you've given them a, a space in which they can grow and be a little bit more successful and realize that, you know, on the first 20 tries, I was mad at the boulder. And then on the next 20 tries, I was like, okay, I get it now. It showed me something. There's, I've learned a movement. I've learned a little bit of something. And people legit get excited about sending boulders in the gym. And I, because gyms are so prevalent and because now you have this ability to say root setting has a purpose to, to bring that experience that we all grew up with and lots of people have and put it indoors and expose it to more people. So you get to bring that to people and like the rewarding side of being passionate and good at something, um, I mean, I, I've seen you watch people climb your boulders and you just have this like, I did that, I built that, you know, and it's, it must contribute to the longevity. Like you're still doing it for this many years later and maybe root setting found you, right? It's, you know, you almost, 
you didn't seek it out from the very beginning and say, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, but you're still doing it and you're still growing it and you're still being progressive with it. So, I mean, it's resonating with you. It is. Um, and I think one of the things I like the most about my job is how ephemeral what I make is. If I look back at like, oh, well, what have I built? What have I done? There's not a single boulder. Like right now in the world, there isn't a single boulder set by me. It's just like, there isn't any. But at the same time, you know, the, that's why, you know, my, my um, sort of my focus or my emphasis is it's about these moments. It's about these memories that stay with people. Because the truth is the boulder doesn't matter. You know, the boulder never matters. It's the story that we build around. And that's true indoors and outside and, and indoors and outdoors. Um, yeah, you know, it's like, it's when a route was done, why it was, you know, who you were with or what conditions it was done in and what it meant to you at that time. And, you know, the boulder itself is, it's just a piece of rock. It's just a piece of plastic, whether it stays or goes, doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a monument to the moment that you did this thing or um, it so happens rocks are when you walk back under, oh, this was my first 7A or, you know, but what comes back is internal. It's unsubstantial. It's, oh, I was with Bonnie. I was with, you know, this person. And um, I think that's, that's kind of why uh, climbing counts. Climbing matters, you know? Like, uh, it's why it's okay for me to not be a doctor not solving cancer. What I do does have a purpose and does have a reason to exist in the world that is, it's useful, you know, in terms of social interaction, in terms of people's um, self-growth and, you know, discovery. And especially people who discover uh, climbing in urban areas, it can be a thread or a path for them to discover the outdoors to which, you know. So maybe it's just me making excuses why I'm still at, you know, 40 plus doing this little hobby. But that's what I believe in, you know, and that's what I, I, I put at the center of what my root setting is, what the teaching I do is, is it really matters. It really counts to me. Um, and it's important because now climbing gyms are big social hubs, you know, and. Dude, climbing absolutely matters. And I love that you put it that way because we, as a, a group of people that participate in a sport. And uh, I was talking with my wife about this, you know, sort of last night. I said, well, what makes climbing different? Um, you know, why would you separate climbing out as being, you know, lucky or privileged to be included in this community of people? And I, I explained it as if you, uh, if you play soccer and you go to a soccer tournament, you might travel to another country. Uh, you'll experience the culture of that country to some degree, but you will travel with your team. You go to dinner, you play, you go after, you go to dinner, you play, you get on the bus, you get on the plane, you go home. Most of us, when we travel to climb or even just go to the gym or our local spot, have the opportunity to be exposed to other individuals who are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And because you are in a small group or even solo, you are, if you're at all open to it, you will be included in that group of people uh, without a blink. And now you're being exposed to their knowledge and the sum of their climbing history and the sum of their personal history and the sum of their, you know, um, we're talking yeah. today about culture. Mm -hmm. And now what you've done is through a sport is you've grown your view of the world in some way, maybe a small way and maybe not every time you go climbing, but if you're open to it and somebody's visiting from another country and you bring them and you're like, you know what? Hey, why don't you come to my house? Everybody's coming to my house for dinner. Um, and I know lots of people who have lifelong friends that they met on a road trip and they might see each other every 10 years when, this, when they're in the same town for the same amount of time, but they absolutely carve out that time when, they're, when their paths cross. And I've never had that. And I've played a lot of sports and I've never had that experience. I mean, I, I don't even remember the names of the people that I played hockey baseball soccer with and i and dude i remember a lot of people from climbing and so yeah climbing absolutely matters and um i want to pin that for a second because i want to come back to something you said just before that and you said that there's none of the boulders that you've put up in gyms 
Not a single one is still up to this day. Um, but all of the, the moments that they created are. And I think that that is definitely, I mean, it's really, really important. And I think if you, if somebody showed you a, a scrapbook of, you know, if you had the ability to every boulder you put up and every person that climbed it, I mean, you'd be overwhelmed with the experiences and the emotions that people were putting on those boulders. And I mean, I worked in a gym <laughs> that you set in and we took down, we just called it the five nine. That was it. We just called it the five nine because it stayed up longer than any other. We cleaned it on the wall and we took it down and people came in and were like, where is that red five nine on the column behind the desk that Tonde set when he was here last year. And people lost their minds when we took it down because it was the best route they'd ever climbed. So the experiences that you are creating through your, you know, um, non-lasting substance is a really interesting mix because people that create normally get to hold up what they create. Um, you know, artists, musicians, whatever that creative outlet is, and you create these non-permanent objects that exist in memories, but, you know, and photos and videos and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's just interesting to me. I mean, I'm, there's no question in there. It's just, uh, this is something that is part of who you are in some way. I mean, it speaks to you. Otherwise you would be like, this is, I hate this. I, I want to do something that I can point to. Yeah. I want to build. Yeah, I don't care. I, I don't need to leave a trace like that in the world um it's just to leave you know people a little happier or a little wiser or a little more engaged and i don't even need to know how you know i don't need the detail i just need it to be something positive even if it means well your footwork is not good enough to climb this slab it's 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 hard but it's it's the truth so failure can be positive right like how how much what do we learn more we learn fail, we learn when we succeed stuff. And I think saying teaches us a lot of failure lessons over our life. I mean, I've definitely fallen off more boulders than I've topped in yeah. my life. So, I know. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if we think about our climbing experiences, a lot of the time is spent failing and um, learning. And, and I think maybe as a as a community, we don't embrace that quite enough as, we, as much as we should, you know, because um, it's really a, a very positive thing. But. It's sort of that climbing evokes a lot of emotion in people. As an individual sport, you are left with your success and failure. It's on you. It's on you every time. And there is a, a, an absolute reality in it. People climb at one gym and don't climb in another gym. So we're segmenting our climbing population. And we're, there are people now that have started climbing in gyms in, in the last 10 years where you have these beautiful facilities with yoga studios and coffee and all that who might sort of think that this was always the way. There's just less of them. But do you think that there's an advantage to having come up through climbing in the era that you did? Is it has it taught you anything about the growth, like watching the growth of the sport and contributing to it that you think you would have missed out if you were starting now? Yeah, I think it's a nice idea to think that. And it, it, I lived through an era of climbing when it was different to what it is now. But I think it would be a very... It's different and it made, for sure, maybe it made it easier for me to perceive certain things or because we were a smaller group of people, because gyms were different, because I think it's a privilege. I was lucky to be exposed to, you know, I, you know, I lived in France, a place where there was a lot of history around climbing and, you know, be it in the Alps and the mountains or just like the crags where, you know, new grades were pushed and, I, I was on the tail end of that. Like those stories kind of had ended by the time I was engaged with those crags, but it was recent history. So, you know, I got stories. There were people around who were there at the time. And so 
I feel like it was a privilege, but I don't think it's anything special because it, it, then it's like saying, well, you know, any great climber from today or um, any great root setter from today can't be as great as I was because they weren't exposed to that. And I don't think that's true. I think this, you know, people will um, build their own histories. Uh, they, their privilege is that it's easy for them to access things. They can get stronger way quicker. They can learn way faster. Isn't that a privilege that I would have liked to have? I was never, I'm not an exceptional climber and I never was. And part of it was the tools I had at my disposal. I lived in cities where there was one gym and it was really, really far away and I couldn't go or, you know, one or two or it was too expensive or today it's like, it's easy. There's a gym right there. There's another one over here. And maybe it would have been better if I was, you know, a kid in that environment. So no, I, I think, you know, different, certainly different times in history and the climbers that are produced are, um, the, they're the fruit of their era. And I do think um, understanding the history and uh, educating, you know, know, know where you've been so you know where to go. I think that idea is, is one that deserves uh, more attention, you know. And um, I think through the climbing gyms, educating people, um, providing stewardship, providing, you know, context as to why this sport is at this point and it hasn't always been that way has a lot of value. So just making people aware of things. But I don't think it's also like just to help them open up to a future that we don't know yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I and that's why I try to stay, you know, uh, humble and open to different styles and different, you know, what do we include? And I'm, I'm a little... Mm. I'm a little bothered by this idea of like, oh, what do you think about old school moves versus new school moves? I'm just like, it's climbing. Like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I enjoy it. There's value in it. Some will fade out and some will, you know, some are just cool trends like, uh, you know, like a pop song. You listen to it for a summer and you're happy to hear it. And then other time, and then it's gone. And others are albums that follow you for your whole life. Okay, great. But I don't feel like, you know, we need to um, pass too much judgment over all these things. Yeah, and I, I love that you brought that up because I was gonna I was gonna wedge it out of you anyway, because I know that you that you're not a fan of people um, like picking away and saying what's better. What's you know, you know, is it better the the way comps were set ten years ago and this parkour you know, explosive triple dino coordination movement is a bunch of BS. It has nothing to do with climbing. And, and I, I know that you hate that. And I'm glad that you brought it up because it is climbing. It's movement. And competition especially is, um, is about testing athletes. And we got to a point where climbers got so good that if you made the holes any smaller and any farther away, they would be impossible. You know, people just train for what's available to them. So you can continually throw little hiccups into professional climbers by giving them something that is not in their training plan. It doesn't mean it's better. It doesn't mean that the holds that we made 25 years ago were better. It just means that they were different. And if you can expose people to different styles of movement, then you are giving them a, a richer experience. And that's, that's your job is to not be judgmental about what's better or what's not better. And it's the experiences that you had, made you the root setter that you are and there they cannot be discounted as you say regardless of when that would have been but you got to you got to experience shady little <laughs> rickety 45s and you know 50,000 square foot bouldering gyms in your you know in not even your whole history of working in the industry so um i mean all that to say that i, mean, I agree with you i think that you are very thoughtful in the way that you approach uh, climbing as a whole, the importance of it in the community, the importance of your role in it. And I think you, you sometimes joke about your unimportance in your role of it. You're like, hey, they're just, sometimes, hey, they're just roots. Like anybody can put roots up, but um, the ability to create those experiences is really important. So you're, you also mentioned you were never that exceptional of a climber. Um, and I'm going to 
take that to be sort of technically you were never, you know, um, you're not climbing 515. Mm -hmm. But you set boulders that are very, very difficult. I think a lot of people are interested in knowing how good of a climber you have to be to be a good root setter. Um, and is it about understanding the movement? Is it about being physically strong enough to reach the holds? And your experience teaches you a lot about who you're setting for and what's going on, but how good do you have to be? Um, a few years ago, the IFSC tasked me to uh, create um, an evaluation system for um, uh, commercial root setters. How do you say, well, this person is a better, more proficient root setter than this other person? And it forced me into this process where I had to think about, well, what does it take to be a good root setter? And there was a moment in time where essentially the stronger you are, the better root setter you are. That was the equation. Um, and it wasn't entirely unfounded because if you were that strong, it just meant you had spent that much time climbing. And at the time it also meant climbing outside. So what you had as your baggage was probably pretty vast. And so, although it was kind of an incorrect equation, it did sort of even itself out because, um, because of who climbers were at the time and how the, the culture worked. Um, today, I have worked you know, in gyms all over the world and I've worked with people who are not strong climbers and yet they were incredible root setters. And I was like, how do I, how do I account for that? How do I create a system that allows for people to not be judged solely on the, the quality of uh, their ability as a climber. Um, and I think your question is especially timely because um, the gym industry is uh, in desperate need of more root setters because they're opening new gyms everywhere. So they need more setters. And um, it's kind of great. You know, a lot of young root setters have opportunities. But another thing I'm seeing is a lot of these young root setters have very little climbing experience. They got strong. They can climb V9 or V10 because they climb inside, because they have a moon board, because they have fingerboards at their disposal. And I don't mean this, mean this in a negative way at all. Like they're strong, good climbers. But at the same time, creating climbing also re requires a culture, you know, understanding movement and um the various flavors of discomfort or awkwardness that can exist on rock and that contribute to the level of, or the challenge of a boulder or a move. And those connections, uh, the, 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 the relationship between climbing level, climbing ability, climbing baggage, um, are also will define the output of, you know, those root setters and climbing gyms in the future. So um, it's kind of tricky to evaluate, figure out how do you say someone is a better root setter than another. And for a few years, I think it faded out of the importance of how strong a climber you are faded out um, because there were other things that were more important. Um, one of the issues I'm facing in hiring root setters today and, you know, the current team that I have is because, you know, kids between the age of 12 and say 16 or 17 can actually go into being double digit climbers very easily with climbing gyms today. And what that means is the output of that gym, the boulders that are in the double digits, we just need more of them because there are lots of kids now in the gyms who are like, hey, I've climbed everything in the gym. I need something harder. And that means we have to produce more hard boulders. So level matters. Um, climbing ability matters. I don't, you know, climbing culture matters. All of those things matter in different proportions. For me, the solution to that is a team where you have some people who are stronger climbers, some people who are well-traveled trad climbers, some people who are you know, actually 
beginner climbers because having that connection to not knowing how to climb is also important. And, uh, and then a strong communication in that team and that's what produces the best climbing. So embracing difference is a really cool idea. Um, it takes a lot of humility because it means you have to understand, I can't do this. I wish I could, I cannot hold this hold. I wish I could, but I just can't. He can, she can, but I can't. Adversely, on this move, I can stand on this foothold like it's easy, but she can't, he can't. So, and that's also another layer of processing of information to manage as a team to produce good climbing. So it's kind of complicated because it means that our strengths and our weaknesses contribute to um, the climbers that we are and the climbing that we produce. So yeah, climbing, that's probably the most longest winded answer to the question like, how strong do you have to be? Uh... But it's the right answer because the answer is that it's, in some instances it's irrelevant and in some instances it's very relevant. And if you are, I mean, if you're a solo root setter and you're the only root setter in your gym setting boulders, then you need to have a pretty good understanding of what you're good and not good at so that you can at least sort of temper your, I'm just going to set glorious V8s and everything else is going to be trash. Um, you need to try and you need to grow your ability to see movement in different ways. But if you're setting as part of the team, which is the norm these days, it's about being humble. It's about listening to someone else's strengths. It's about saying you have to have that variety in experience. And that is what will get you to a place where you're saying, okay, this group of people can set wonderful boulders across you know, a really wide range. Um, and I know that you teach that course and I've sort of, I've listened to it and I've peeked in on it um, when you came and did it at our gym and the root setters that walked away from it are, I mean, you think that people who've been setting for years, like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna teach me about the thing I already know how to do? And I think people are just like, what? This is someone who's put 100 times more cognitive effort into something that a lot of people think is quite simple. You know, it's a mechanical act of putting these holds in this order, um, but that's not how you approach it. I mean, you're a creative person, you're a graphic designer, you're a music lover, you're an art lover. Like, is it a creative outlet as much as it is uh, a, I want to make things difficult or not difficult. Like it's a, the, the line between creativity in design, I guess, the aesthetics of a boulder and how it climbs are not always, it's not always in parallel. Like you can have aesthetic boulders that climb terribly mm -hmm. and you can have sort of quote unquote ugly boulders mm -hmm. that are, have beautiful movement attached to them. How do you, like how do you solve that for yourself? Like when you want to create a beautiful boulder and it just doesn't climb the way you want it to? What happens when you butt up against your own internal monologue? I mean, it depends on the context. It depends on the job. Like, am I supposed to deliver a boulder? And then is it, there's, there is such a thing as, is it good enough? You know, there's a moment where, you know, you wish it was something else, but the truth is, you know, this will provide people with the experience that they want or need. And lots of the boulders that I've set, I hated or was unhappy with for whatever reason. Sometimes I couldn't even explain that reason. And people came up and told me that's my favorite boulder in the gym or in the comp or, and I'm like, okay, great. You know, isn't that's the value in it, you know, and it's not so, and vice versa boulders that I thought were amazing. And, um, there's a strong correlation with boulders. I really like and boulders that get zero tops, in positions, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, uh, have a small, there's a small club among international root setters who are, um, pretty highly ranked for zero top boulders. Everybody has some, but you know, it's a, it's always kind of a funny and interesting story that we're attached to things that basically don't work. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think, um, it's dependent on the situation, you know, like if you have the luxury of taking it down and exploring and experimenting and learning something from that process, great. Um, if you don't, then you just have to live with it. And, Cause at the end of the day, like being an artist and being a creative is, is, 
is wonderful, but we're still doing a job, you know? And that's, I think the, the, the way, the, the means I've found to temper it is to say that, you know, root setting is a design, um, is in the design family. And in design, you have a deliverable. You have a, you know, you have a date and a time at which the building needs to be finished. And you can't be like, well, I don't know where the windows go for months and months, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between an artist and a designer. A designer has to deliver. There is a strong creative element, but in that, um, in that um, process, yeah, if you don't, if, if there isn't a thing at the end, you don't get paid. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and you, the stubborn um, attachment to something simply because you thought you liked it at the outset doesn't, doesn't serve you very well in that process. And you yeah. need to listen to people's opinions. You need like someone sort of saying like, man, it, it's just like either leave it, it's good enough or yeah. and pull it and start again. You, you could tweak it forever, but I mean, every now and then you must get stubbornly attached to an idea and you spend just enough time on it that it produces something wonderful. Like it has to, there, there is a balance. And I guess, I mean, the funny thing is that I don't think there's a, a single question I could ask you in this arena that would yield a yes or no answer or a, like a not, an answer that wasn't situationally dependent. It depends on the person, it depends on the gym, it depends on the moment, like all of those things. And it's, there is no, there's not a lot of black and white in root setting other than tops and no tops. Sure. But even that is not that important, always. I think maybe of those, of all those questions that, you know, have, have no black and white answer. I think the, maybe the most misunderstood one is uh, difficulty itself. Like when you say, oh, this is V8, what does that even mean? You know, um, because as climbers, we simultaneously hold on to the idea that V8 is a very fixed thing. And it, you know, I will know for sure what that is when I encounter it. And at the same time, we know full well, we've been outside and climbed three boulders that are V8 and there is no way in hell that um, they're the same grade. They feel so different from one another. So it's very paradoxical. And that's an idea that I've been exploring as somebody who produces climbing or produces challenge that has to have different levels is um, uh, what is the nature of difficulty, you know, and how do we measure it or how do we build it to, um, to meet the expectations of people, you know, in a, in a positive way or in a competition in a, in a challenging way. And so now you've layered philosophy into mathematics and design. Like it's, this is, and this is the conversations. This is why I want to expose, you know, in my, the people that I have reached with is exposing root setting for all of the layers that it has, because I do think the longer you talk about it and the more people that you talk to, you understand that it's not simple and it's, it's importance is, I mean, it is arguably the most important thing. Yes, you have to physically build a gym. You have to put up the walls. You have to have a desk. You need to exchange some money and rent some shoes to people. But you need to put holds on the wall over and over and over and over and over and over for years. And it is the essence of everything we do indoors. Um, so the importance and understanding the drive that some people put into it and the passion that some people put into it and you know, the fact that you're so driven and that you are, um, I would say you're an excellent teacher. I think you're a fantastic teacher. I think you're uh, really good at teaching people movement. I think you're good at teaching people root setting. And so now you're getting to expose a wider group of root setters that it's more than just grind it out, put a bunch of boulders up and, and you're, you get to explain and hopefully embark a few more people on the journey that has taken you to where you are and then in a way that you get to think about root setting in a much broader sense. And we talk about its importance and we talk about all the way down to the details of I could spend an hour deciding if this foothold needs to be six inches to the left or six inches to the right. And that comes from really caring about something. You can't sort of drift by and then be able to, you know, look back and say, Oh, I really cared about that. You know, it's that it makes a huge difference. Like I think that you've, set all over the world 
and you've been in gyms all over the world. And I would argue that everybody you set for wants you to come back. And, and I think that that speaks to the fact that you, it's the product, but it's also the process and it's everything that goes with it. And I know that you don't roll into a gym, put up a bunch of boulders with your blinders on and your headphones and then roll home. I know that you talk to people. I know that you take the time to talk to them about climbing or whatever questions they might have because you are an educator, I think, in, in our sport and through our history. And I think that's really important. And I think people should be exposed to the amount of mental and physical effort that goes into good root setting. And how do you, other than teaching a hundred clinics a year, um, I mean, you must have pondered the idea of how do you get more exposure of the process instead of just the finished product? Um, I think the first thing is there's something I care about more than root setting. It's climbing. Like root setting is cool, you know, but at the end of the day, it's just a process. It's a job. It's a, the thing I really care about and I'm passionate about. And the reason root setting is important is root setting is my, my medium for sharing climbing. And, um, that, that idea is really like, really important to me. And that's why good root setting means producing good climbing. And that is what engages people. That is what matters. That's what makes the connection. Um, and then as far as sharing it, I think uh, the, for me, the next logical step is all of the ideas that have developed and, you know, crystallized around um, in the industry around root setting in the past, whatever, 10 years, which I think have been, you know, there's been a lot of evolution. People have progressed a lot on understanding what counts and how to do things better. Um, uh, and there's a lot of people out there, you know, like thinking about it, pushing it forward, uh, a lot of headsetters in gyms. Um, there's a lot of gyms that stand out on the global map and they stand out for a reason. There's a person behind it, you know, um, pushing these agendas. And I think the next step is these ideas that are really valuable now and processes that really work have to be shared with people who are not root setters. Because again, it's back to the, the, the effort of uh, producing good climbing is, um, uh, is, is a, it's a team thing, right? The experience of being in a climbing gym is of course the climbing, but then, if the music is not good, that's kind of, a, it can be a deal breaker. If uh, it's dirty and the light is bad, if the people at the front desk are, you know, uh, not pleasant. So all of those things contribute to, and that's true outside as well. You know, when you go on a climbing trip with the wrong group of people and you're not vibing with them, you hate, you hate it. It's not cool. It's, you know, even though you're doing, you're climbing in one of the best crags in the world, it's possible to have a bad experience. So I think the, the, the next um, evolution for root setting is, uh, for lack of a better word, it's a form of maturity. You know, we've, we've learned about ourselves, grown and have, you know, there's still some steps to be taken, but it's starting to take shape. But now we have to have a conversation with, uh, the, you know, the rest of the people who are evolving around us um, to include uh, uh, their intake to share with them ideas. And if it becomes a more concerted effort, the experience that people will have coming into climbing gyms will be elevated. So it's difficult. I wish the answer were, you know, I think a lot of root setters wish it were like a very technical, very root setting focused thing, but doing anything very well um, at very high levels involves a certain amount of collaboration, being open, sharing ideas and accepting the criticism and feedback and praise of, you know, other departments who are not root setters. Uh, and this is, you know, these are lessons from, from my professional experience in, in 
in other fields, you know, when you're a graphic designer and you create a poster and you think it's, you know, the end all of beautiful posters and the lettering and the coloring and the typography and everything is so wonderful. And someone from marketing says, yeah, but we can't read the date. We don't even know where this is happening. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said for that. And to be able to find middle ground between those two things, create something that's beautiful, but also communicates a message and, you know, gets people psyched about whatever this event is going to be, then you're doing a great job. And I think that's where we have to evolve. And we're still kind of in little bubbles, um, trying to like uh, break through the, the surface to connect with other teams. So, yeah. But the thread is climbing. Yeah. And, and the thread will always be climbing.